0: I have never been more spiritually active in my life than when I was in college. I was serving in children's ministry. I was serving in college ministry, intercession, worship. I was leading discipleship groups. I was going on mission trips. On Sunday, I told y'all before, I was at church from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m., non-paid, non-intern, just because I love God so much. I was going to every prayer meeting. I was even going to morning prayer at 4.30 a.m. every morning, seasonally. I would water fast. Three, four, five days periodically. I even attended morning prayer in seasons where I needed to wake up for exams. And everything on the outside, it seemed like I was alive. It had the appearance of life. But on the inside, I was broken. I was fragmented. And I was probably the unhealthiest I have ever been. I had no boundaries in my life. I always said yes to everything, and I was constantly burning out. I was failing out of school. I actually literally failed out of UC Davis and had to work my way back in throughout an entire year at Sac City. I was a horrible roommate and a horrible son. I instigated drama that split my class unity in half, and there were two factions that were warring against each other. I instigated that, and I was depressed but didn't even know it. it. It's interesting to me. That we can have the appearance of life on the outside, but be so broken and fragmented and dead on the inside. I find that human beings are a lot like icebergs. We have this cool image of a really cool iceberg. Yeah, isn't that a pretty cool iceberg? I don't know why I'm highlighting this iceberg so much. But we are a lot like icebergs. We have this exterior lives, our lives above the surface that most people see but it's only a part of who we are. And this is the life we curate so perfectly on social media, the masks we wear at church to let everyone know that we're doing perfectly fine. But there's so much beneath the surface, our interior lives, the things that not many people see, the way we act when no one is around, the impact we have on those closest to us. And this certainly includes our emotional health. And I find that especially in the church, We spend so much time working on the exterior above the surface life, and we actually do little to no work working on the interior beneath the surface things that we carry in our hearts. And I think this is especially true when it comes to emotional health. Which is why for the next few months, we are going to enter into a new collection of teachings called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Where we're emphasizing emotional health as a vital piece of spiritual formation. That emotional health is a vital part of discipleship and of walking with God. So that's what we're going to do. Let's pray. Holy Spirit. I think for many of us, um, maybe this is a topic we have been getting more into in recent years. It's actually kind of trendy to talk about it in the church, but maybe some of us have yet to actually begin doing the work. Maybe some of us have been doing the work and, and we still feel like something is missing. I pray wherever we are on the spectrum of becoming emotionally healthy adults, I pray Lord that you would meet us in that very place. You'd speak to us and you'd help us grow. You would heal the broken parts, and you would make us whole. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So all of this, this entire collection, it presupposes this one truth. It's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Can I get an amen? Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. The problem is most believers value the spiritual over every other aspect of our God-given humanity, over the physical, over the intellectual, over the social, and over the emotional. What it creates is unhealthy, unbalanced followers of Jesus. In college, I don't know if this is still trending, tell me if I'm wrong, but in college, all my guy friends had one goal in life, as to become swole. And what I mean by swole, you would think like an entire body. No, back in college, the only thing my friends concerned themselves with was up here, right? They would just see how much they could bench, see how, how much they could incline, shoulder press, but they didn't work on anything beneath the belt. And so what happened is all my friends looked like, you know, like characters from Batman the Animated Series, right? They were triangles. They were built and yoked up here, but they had tiny chicken legs. And I always looked at them and thought, man, you look so unbalanced. There's something not right about that. And luckily, as my friends grew up, they started working out the rest of their bodies or not working out anything at all. So everything got normal and balanced but i find in church we kind of emphasize the spiritual more than all these other aspects and we end up looking like my best friend chris who looked like a triangle we look unbalanced we're we're not complete See, how many of you know that God's heart for, whole, for us is holistic formation? Not just the spiritual, but the emotional, the mental, the social, every part of us. And in our pursuit of formation this year, we could easily mistake this to mean that we should only invest in spiritual things like prayer or scripture or fasting or worship or justice. But God is after our entire being. Transformation holistically. We fall into the trap of believing that prayer, things like prayer are more spiritual than eating with a friend or cleaning the house, or taking care of our bodies, or going to therapy. But no, all of it is spiritual. All of it is important to God. All of it is essential in formation. And ultimately, what we've done throughout the last few decades in the church history, we have disconnected emotional health from spiritual health. And it's literally killing us. It's so sad, y'all. My profession, being a pastor, in the past few years, we've seen the rise of suicides amongst high-profile megachurch successful leaders, like, you know, we're lucky we got 15 in the house today because a lot of people are traveling. I'm talking about churches of thousands of people where it seems like it's thriving, it's growing, and these these church leaders are depressed as hell and taking their own lives. They actually say in the next few years, we'll see pastors burning out and resigning at an alarming, unprecedented rate. Even when Chris and I started pastoring in the city 2016, all the pastors that we started with and made friends with, none of their churches are around anymore. Why? Because there is this culture in the church that emphasizes the spiritual over every other part of our humanity, especially the emotional. Now, in the book that we're drawing this from, I recommend, if you want to go deeper into this topic, there's this book that we're drawing from called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, same name. The author, Pete Scazzaro, this is how he starts off his book. He talks about being a church planner, And in the first six years of their church plan, it's growing, it's thriving, ministries are blossoming. But at home, he was completely not present. He was unhealthy, had no boundaries, was burning out. and this is how he starts his book and this is how he gets you man he's like he tells his story and he says six years into his church plant his wife jerry comes up to him one day and says i'm quitting your church i'm not quitting god i'm not quitting being a christian but i'm quitting your church i don't want to live like this And this is when he realized there's a disconnect between the spiritual and the emotional. I've focused so much on the exterior, but so little on the interior. And all this tells us that maybe we've been approaching formation and discipleship, and the approach has been incomplete at best, if not harmful. I find that the church is very intolerant of things like lying or stealing or premarital sex or drunkenness, yet we're surprisingly tolerant of emotional immaturity. And I love this. um, The book gave a bunch of examples of what this could look like. You can be a gifted preacher in public and be a detached spouse or parent at home. You can function as a leader yet be unteachable, insecure, and defensive. You can quote the Bible yet be completely unaware of your reactivity. You can fast and pray regularly, yet remain critical of others, calling it discernment. God, I hate that, guys. Christians are so weird. You can be hurt by the unkind comment of a coworker and justify saying nothing because you avoid conflict at all costs. Come on, Enneagram type nines. You can serve others tirelessly, yet carry resentment because there is little personal time for personal self-care. You can lead God, you can lead people for God when in reality, your primary motive is an unhealthy need to be admired and needed by others. Come on, unhealthy type twos. Come on. You ever meet someone who's like super spiritually gifted? But outside of ministry and behind closed doors, they are a total douchebag. You ever met someone like that? I've met too many people like that. Like I had this one friend um, decades ago who was just so anointed at preaching. Every time he preached, like people would fall out in the spirit. People would get saved. People get healed, set free. But every time I hung out with him outside of service or outside of ministry, I literally wanted to jump out of the house. He was not a good or fun or nice person to be around. And I find in the church, we have to stop celebrating people who pray with eloquent words, but don't know how to communicate well with their friends. We have to stop highlighting gifted leaders who can grow organizations, but are completely failing as spouses, parents, and family members. See, Jesus radically reverses the teaching of first century rabbis that stress that relationship with God must come at the expense of relationship with others and relationship with self. And I, you know, growing up I don't know if you grew up like me in an immigrant Christian family. There was this – our parents' generation, especially my grandparents' generation, um, they had this mentality – we will follow God at all costs. My grandpa even sold all of his possessions and moved our entire family out to California. And that was was just the mentality. There's something beautiful about being that radical sold out. But I believe that one thing that our generation has the benefit of doing is building off of the sacrifice of the previous generations. That there's actually a healthier, more holistic way that we can live. And that in fact, what Jesus taught and modeled was that our love for God was actually measured to the degree we love people well and loved ourselves well. That's why it says, love your neighbor what as yourself. And so if we claim to love God, yet everyone around us consistently experiences us as unapproachable or out of touch with our emotions, insecure, defensive, rigid, judgmental, scripture actually says you're spiritually immature. And I think that Man, this is a trigger for me. But we are notorious at over-spiritualizing things we shouldn't and under-spiritualizing things that we should. Example, maybe... Okay, I don't want to offend anyone here. So only take this if this applies to you. I'm not speaking to you, okay? I'm just throwing it out in the ether and seeing if anyone bites. I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wish more people was here. I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe your singleness... Isn't God teaching you to trust in him while waiting? Maybe it's a wake up call for you to work on becoming a person that people actually enjoy being around. Maybe hold on, hold on. If it doesn't apply, it's okay. It's okay. Maybe, maybe your relational conflicts aren't attacks from the enemy. Maybe it's you needing to learn how to communicate to people in healthy and appropriate ways. Maybe we need to start, maybe we need to stop over spiritualizing the messes that we've made in our lives because of our brokenness. And this is not to shame you, but it's to, we have to become aware of what's going on inside of us. We have to look around and see the fruit of our lives and not blame the devil, not blame God teaching us a lesson, but we just need to own what we're doing, the, the lives and the messes that we're making in ourselves if we hope to grow and mature. I'm sorry, church. If that, I'm, I know that didn't apply to anyone in this room. I, it's for the podcast people. That's why God told me to throw that in, okay? In other words, we have to stop using spirituality as a crutch for our emotional immaturity. We have to grow up. Come on. Some of us, were in our 20s. Some of us, in our 30s. We need to grow Up, Spiritual maturity and emotional health are inseparable. Now, there are three ways that we typically deal with emotional pain, influenced by three different worldviews. Just going to breeze over them really quick. The first has been influenced by Eastern spirituality. And the Buddha actually had a lot to say about this. The Buddha's core philosophy was that we get hurt because we are so attached. And so his solution is to let go and detach from the world to avoid pain. Think the Jedi. You know, the Jedi are actually some of the most emotionally unhealthy heroes in all of science fiction. Their whole philosophy is to not get attached to anyone or anything because what you hold on to, you eventually fear losing. And Master Yoda once said, fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. And this is actually the philosophy of Eastern spirituality that we have to let go and detach so that we don't experience emotional pain. But here's the problem. When we close ourselves off to pain, we also close ourselves off to love and to beauty and to all the things that we actually crave deep down in the depths of our soul. So this is the Eastern spirituality approach, Western spirituality, Christianity, Unfortunately, many followers of Jesus misinterpret scripture to mean we should always shift out of our negative emotions and choose joy, right? Don't we always say that shift out of your depression, choose joy. Like depression is a choice, right? Ignore your negative emotions, set your mind on things above. Emotions aren't our Lord Jesus is. We end up suppressing our actual emotions and we fake it. Our churches become full of people who are so good at pretending to be happy and fulfilled when really they're broken and fragmented and dead on the inside. Instead of facing our emotions, we mask it with pseudo positive, positive encouraging K love Christianity. And we actually gloss over the raw emotions that God has actually called us to feel. And the last approach is secularism. Instead of dealing with our emotional pain, we self-medicate. And I think most of us can relate with this. We numb ourselves. We distract ourselves. We escape From having to actually deal with what's going on inside of us through Netflix, dating apps, food, sex, travel. We throw everything that we can so we don't have to feel what's actually going on on the inside of us. Detaching, suppressing, and escaping. None of these help us become emotionally healthy people. But let's look at Jesus. Jesus allowed himself to experience the full spectrum of human emotion. We forget that Jesus was fully God and fully human, but we often emphasize his divinity over his humanity. And it shows in the way that we think we're supposed to live, that we're supposed to cast aside our honest emotions to live in the godly emotions, right? That we have to shift out of the negative and shift into the positive. And I don't know about you, but we tend to grow up learning that some emotions are good and some emotions are bad. We assume that good emotions like joy and gratitude draw us closer to God. Come on. While bad emotions like sadness and anger hinder us from God. But how many of you know there are no good or bad emotions? Therapist Marcia Reynolds says, I would like you to consider a different view of emotions. All emotions are a part of your human experience. You can't experience joy without sorrow, peace without anger, and courage without fear. Life is richer when we allow ourselves to move through the dark as well as the light. I think that every church would do well to do an entire sermon series dissecting the Pixar movie inside out. In fact, I'm 99% certain that the main character Riley is a messed up Christian youth kid, okay? Like, youth group just <laughs> messed her up. And one of the prominent themes in Inside Out is this idea that it's okay not to be okay, that we need to learn how to embrace sadness instead of always choosing joy. Hear me, church, so many of us have embraced toxic positivity as the way Jesus calls us to live, that we have to shove aside our sadness and anger and doubt and live in joy. But when we do that, we only experience a counterfeit joy. It's only when we allow ourselves to experience the true depths of sadness that we can enter into true joy. Dan Allender, who writes a lot about grief, he says, Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality. And reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial Distortion or disengagement in neglecting our intense emotions We are false to ourselves and hear me church lose a wonderful opportunity to know God What's he saying? The the bad emotions that we think hinder us from experiencing God are actually the very place Where we meet God in a deeper way Think about the people that experience like life-changing miracles throughout the Bible All of them were in a dark down place. You don't meet God in the miracle. If you're not meeting God in a place where you need breakthrough, where you're in the place of impossibility, where you're in the place of darkness or sadness. Hear me church. Emotional health doesn't mean you're happy all the time. You don't have to be a Mickey Cho, anagram type seven, ENFP rose colored glasses. Everything is great and wonderful. That is not emotional health. We forget that Jesus embraced all his emotions, yet he was whole. Jesus shed tears. He grieved. He was angry. He felt compassion. He showed astonishment and wonder. Jesus never ran from his emotions. He never masked his emotions with spirituality, yet Jesus was inarguably the most emotionally healthy human ever. Why? Because he learned how to embrace all of the spectrum of emotions, that all of it was an invitation to experience God. Disclaimer. The thing is, emotional health is important, and that's what we're pursuing this season, but it's not everything. I think there's a trend today where many people in the world—well, first of all, I want to say this. There are many people outside of the church that don't know Jesus— who I would argue are more emotionally healthy than many people in the church. Okay, can we all agree on that? That's, I think that's true. I think both, most of us agree with that. But there's this temptation to put all our stock in this, that emotional health is the end-all, be-all goal, that if we could get emotionally healthy, that we, everything would be good and we would be completely fulfilled, but that's not true. Hear me, church. Your therapist is not your savior. We need a savior. We need a therapist, too. Emotional health and spirituality must be woven together. That's why we didn't call this series Emotional Health. We didn't call it spirituality. We called it Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's integrating therapy and the presence of God. It's unlearning our toxic mindsets while allowing the truth of scripture to change us from the inside out. Listen, we cannot do this without God. The end goal isn't just to get emotionally healthy it's to become a whole disciple of Jesus. That is the goal of our collection. Pete Scazzaro, who writes the book on this, he says an emotionally healthy disciple is this. They slow down to be with Jesus. They go beneath the surface of their life to be deeply transformed by Jesus and offer their life as a gift to the world for Jesus. This is what they're, what we're after, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. We get emotionally healthy so that we can do that. This is my definition of what living in wholeness looks like. Living in wholeness is living in unhindered love toward God, toward others, and self. How many of you know, Come on, you've been in relationships or you have friendships where because you haven't emotionally healed from past trauma and pain, you find that your relationships are affected. And the way it's usually affected is there's something someone does that triggers an emotional response from you that is completely unwarranted. Um, there's this time Krista and I, we have like, we know now that we have certain trigger words. So when we're fighting, there are certain phrases that, that might to anyone else seem harmless, but when it's said in the context of our argument, like it just triggers us to a point of no return. And the fight ends up escalating and blowing up. Have you guys experienced that in your relationship? There are certain triggers. Like I could say to Kevin something and it wouldn't bother him at all. But I say the same thing to Josh and something triggers in him, right? We all have emotional wounds and triggers in our lives. And what it does is it hinders us from loving people freely And loving God freely and loving ourselves freely. Imagine with me for a moment being able to approach your relationship without having to navigate a minefield of triggers. Imagine being so secure in the character of God that you can trust him with all of your heart. Imagine knowing yourself so deeply that you know your limits and create healthy boundaries in your life so that you can take care of yourself. This is what we're after. Parker Palmer says, self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others. Anytime we can listen to true self and give it the care it requires, we do it not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. So the goal of wholeness, the goal of emotional health, is not just so we can be healthy, it's so that we can love God unhindered. So that we can love others without always being triggered. We can love ourselves and know ourselves so that we don't run ourselves into the ground. This is our vision for wholeness. Now, I just we're about to wrap it up soon, but I just want to lay out a vision for what this can look like. And as we're approaching the next few weeks, I want us to think about these things. What if I could live life this way? So I'm going to break it into two categories. This is what emotional health is. Can look like this is what we're after and the second and this is what spirituality can look like what we're after and just read it with me and prepare to just wouldn't it be great emotional health being able to name recognize and manage our own feelings identifying with and having compassion for others initiating and maintaining I love they put maintaining. Because a lot of us know how to initiate close relationships, but a lot of us aren't good at maintaining. Initiating and maintaining close and meaningful relationships. Breaking free from self-destructive patterns. Being aware of how our past impacts our present. Developing the capacity to express our thoughts and feelings clearly, both verbally and non-verbally. Y'all, 90% of conflicts are because we don't know how the hell to communicate. Uh, Trust me, six years married, I'm telling you, this is the truth, okay? We don't know how to communicate, and when we don't know how to communicate, we end up going deeper into conflict when we don't need to. Respecting and loving others without having to change them. Woo! Conviction. Asking for what we need, want, or prefer clearly, directly, and respectfully. Come on, we some of the most passive-aggressive people on earth. Maturity is learning how to articulate your needs without becoming consumed by your emotions. It's getting what you need. Accurately self-assessing our strengths, our limits, and weaknesses, and freely sharing them with others. I think a lot of us know our strengths. A lot of us aren't aware of our weaknesses. Very important. Learning the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspective of others and grieving well. Doesn't that sound amazing? Isn't that how you want to live? Isn't that the people you want to be in community group with? Isn't this your future spouse? Isn't this what you want for your relationship for yourself? This is what we're after, what we're talking about when we talk about emotional health. Now, spirituality, the second component of this awakening and surrendering to God's love in any and every situation. Positioning ourselves to hear God and remember his presence in all we do. Communion with God, allowing him to fully indwell the depth of our being. Practicing silence, solitude, and a life of unceasing prayer. Resting attentively in the presence of God. Yo, San Francisco needs this. Sabbath. Finding the true essence of who we are in God, not on what we do or what we can produce or who our friends say we are, but who we are in God. Understanding our earthly life as a journey of transformation toward ever-increasing union with God. Loving others out of a life of love for God. Not loving others so that we can be needed or validated or wanted. Developing a balanced, harmonious rhythm of life That enables us to be aware of the sacred in all of life, adapting historic practices of spirituality that are applicable today and living in committed community that passionately loves Jesus above all else. Do you get it now? This is what it means to be emotionally whole and mature. This is spiritual maturity not one without the other, but both integrated and woven into our lives. 99, what if we could take serious the invitation of Holy Spirit this season to become whole, to no longer live fragmented and broken lives on the inside, to take off these fake masks that we wear at church and allow God to really heal us from the inside out? What if we could take our emotional health seriously this season so that we can love God, others, and ourselves without any restriction? This is not an action plan, but it might be. Some of y'all, like, really just need to go to therapy, okay? I'm sorry, but your pastors are not gifted in navigating the complex emotional scars and wounds that you carry. Like, we, can, we can pray for y'all, and we can listen, but, but I think about it this way. When I want to get fit, physically fit, I'm not going to go look for someone like, that looks like me, okay? I'm going to find a Vanessa or a Ying or a Joseph because the way that they live, they're specialized in fitness, in physical health. And in the same way, I find that we're willing to invest in our physical health by hiring a trainer or signing up for a gym. But few of us are, are open to investing in our emotional health and growth in therapy, with people that are actually specialized and trained to help us navigate our complex emotional lives. And so maybe it's investing in your emotional life this year by seeing a therapist. And therapy isn't for everyone, but I think it's a great place where God can meet us. For some of us, we've been in therapy four years, and yet there's still something missing on the inside. Right? Like, I've been seeing my therapist for a long time, but there's still something, there's, it's not it. There's, I'm not completely fulfilled. Maybe the invitation for you is to find healing once again in the presence of God, to marry the spirit with what God is doing within your emotional well-being. I want to close with this passage, Matthew 5, 1 through 9. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. at Once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. I think sometimes we read this story and we place so much emphasis on, yo, pick up your mat and walk. And like, we love the miracle. But I love that before the miracle even happened, Jesus extends an invitation he asked this very simple question, do you want to get well? You know, people are like, man, this ableist. No, Jesus was asking the person, do you want to get well? Is there a part of your life that's fragmented or broken that you want repair? Is there a place where you're hindered in your growth? Do you want to get well? And this is the invitation today. We're doing nothing more today than just answering this invitation. Jesus, 2,000 years later, is still reaching out to us and asking, do you want to get well. Are you tired of living broken and fragmented on the inside? Are you tired of faking being fine? Are you tired of imploding all the relationships around you? Are you tired of burning out and not having healthy boundaries? Are you tired of not being well? When Jesus is saying, I have something for that. I can meet you in your brokenness. And I can begin to heal. But first, you have to answer the question, do you want to get well? Right now, why don't we close our eyes? And this is the altar call. It's just this. Take a look at your life right now. What are the things that are going on? Did any of this resonate with you? Are there parts of your life that feel fragmented and broken? And Do you find your relationships are constantly strained? Do you find any of this to be true? And if so, I feel like Jesus is meeting us in the place of our brokenness. And he's asking, do you want to get well? And today, there's no other response. You don't have to sign up for a therapist tonight. You don't have to... Weave through your past trauma and pain and try to make sense of it. You don't have to figure out where you're disjointed or fragmented or broken. You simply have to come to a place today. The only thing that he's asking is, do you want to get well? And if the answer is yes, and Jesus is saying, come with me, I will hold your hand on this journey. You don't have to figure it out on your own. You don't have to navigate the waters of healing by yourself. right now, just take a moment, and maybe all you need to do today is say, yes, God, I don't know how. I don't know what this path looks like, but yes, I want to be emotionally healthy. I want to live whole. I want this.